Hello and welcome to Say That, the podcast where your big questions get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago and joining you here is Glenn Fitzgerald, the president of Mission USA. I feel like the oscillating fan is oscillating on Jed way more than me. Wow. Well, I think that's a, a concern that all our listeners share and I'm glad you brought it up. Yep. The, the man who's getting the preferential treatment from the inanimate fan, according to Glenn, would be Jed Brewer. He's the director of Mission USA Productions. It's good and cooling to be favored. <laughs> That's just wrong. We often joke that the show is just for us, but sometimes that becomes more true than other episodes. Yeah. Joining us all the way from Rutgers, Tennessee, a man who has not seen fit to update us on his heating and air conditioning situation because he's more selfish than Glenn, Lee Younger, one of the pastors of Christ Community Church. Must be nice to have a fan. Oh, it is. <laughs> it is. Well, uh, Lee is joining us between uh, gallivants to do uh, ministerial things. You may remember he was at the Young Life camp, and yeah. he's headed off to Spain in a couple episodes. We'll be without Lee in a couple weeks. Very sad. But in between, Lee has uh, Lee has spent some time in the American Southeast, mm. driving the interstates, the highways and byways of that <laughs> august and historic place. And Lee, I believe you have some things to share that you've seen. On that basis, I declare a Deep South emergency. Uh-oh. Uh, Uh-oh. That's hear- an emergency that's been fried. <laughs> <laughs> that's an emergency that gets served with a side of grits. Yeah. <laughs> this, is a sur- this is an emergency that's basically, that, that's basically made with paper mache that you eat. Okay. This is okay. a biscuits and gravy emergency. We're driving on I-75 South. My wife and I are, are we're headed to a wedding just outside of Tampa, Florida. And... You know, when you're when you're driving on the interstate, you see a lot of billboards, and you just kind of become numb to them. You know, you, you stop looking at the billboards after a while. But then I, I'm driving down, and I see a billboard with somebody dressed up as Jesus. Okay. You know, not the most mm. out-of-ordinary thing to happen. Not on I-75. Jesus has got his arms uh, spread wide, and he's saying, um, you know, come to me, you know, and it's got a little Bible verse or something, and then it's got a, a you know, a thing to a website, just some cheesy dude dressed up as Jesus. And I'm like, okay, we're in the South. Um, sure. You know, 10, 15 miles later, um, the, 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 the billboards start to get a little more intense. There's a, okay. there's a billboard with, with a cross, with, um, with just, it's, it's actually blood drenched where the hands would be. <laughs> Right, you know, right. and wow. I, you know, he loved you this much. Won't you okay. come to him? You know, same website as before. Okay, drive okay. a few more miles. Uh, there's a there's a, a billboard with the same actor portraying Jesus, but this time it, it says, "I will be back," and then it has three tanks coming in front of Jesus, <laughs> and then like. Like a like a SEAL team coming in from the right side of the billboard, like just right. it's like a military operation. Okay, commando you, Jesus. You, yeah, and uh, th- th- and this is intense. Okay, and I'm thinking that's as creepy and as an intense as these billboards can get. Clearly, I need to get saved. Um, <laughs> and then and then, guys, the emergency billboard of all emergency billboards. There was the last one was Jesus with his arms spread wide. And then to his left, I kid you not, five or six zombies coming at Ah, you. And it said, who will you choose? Between Jesus and zombies. Either, clearly, this is a theological statement. 
I've misread the scriptures. This is apparently what's up. Either you get saved and you go to heaven with Jesus or you right. become a zombie. Well, there, you know, I think actually there's there's a lot of ways to take that. One of them right. is zombies want to eat your brains. Yeah, we all period. we all know this. That's, that's, that's a fact. So that's is science. The, is the billboard suggesting that I can have my brains eaten by zombies or by Jesus? Wow, that's a good question. Right, and our, our zombies are people who aren't who who were dead but right. now are alive again. Which theologically is kind of what it's like to be a Christian. So. Sure. Yeah, that's very confusing. Yeah. I mean, the Apostles' Creed talks about believing the resurrection of the body. It doesn't really specify what shape that body will be in. <laughs> that's true. Post-resurrection. Yeah, uh, but I think the main thing I'm getting out of this advertising campaign is... You want to be on the side that has the Jesus tanks. Oh, you obviously want Jesus <laughs> sure. tanks. Sure. Because if, if somebody's blasting off tank uh, you know, missiles, right? you want to be on the side of whatever, whoever's got that. Sure, absolutely. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that's, uh, to me, y'all, that's, that's how I'm looking at it. Okay. Okay, yeah, that's this, good. The, this, this army group, I mean, this is full invasion kit. I mean, these guys are coming in hot. They're they're right. they're blazing, and 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 Jesus is just commanding these troops where right. to go. It's pretty impressive. Well, and Lee, it was your sense that these billboards were commissioned by the same people. Like uh, it was all the same people that made these. Yeah, the the uh, apparently it's a it's a specific group or church or website or something like that. That apparently they really want me to get saved. Well, here's my question is, given that it's made by the same people, is there a chance that the tanks are to fight the zombies? Ah, Is that yeah. what's going on? It's a full-on, like, like... It's a narrative progression. This is what I'm saying. It's yeah. World War Z, but with Jesus. Well... That's cool. The, yeah. World War J. Gotta, <laughs> World War J. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to go World War Alpha Omega, but yeah, it all, it all works. It all works. We're not winning against zombies. Right. Anymore. Well, Jesus is, technically. Well, that's that's what we need. The victory need. is the Lord's. Wait, that's well, okay. what we need. Whoa. This is what we haven't thought about yet. Is Jesus employing zombies as a new method of bringing people into the fold? Oh, wow. Oh, well, that's, uh, you know, that's a bit of a strong-arm tactic, but, uh, you know. <laughs> Whatever works. You know. Now, Lee, are you claiming that Lazarus was the original b- zombie billboard person? There's no question about it. And this was kind of, this is a long-held marketing technique. <laughs> yeah. Hey, hey, right. check it out. That's right. You know. Yeah, yeah. You know, the Buddhists don't have zombies. <laughs> yeah, right, you know, resurrection of the dead. There you go. Boom, done. Well, Lee, did we, you know, as a result of your many, many, many billboards, did you finally at long last get saved? Well, I was, I, I had a conversation with Christy about it. Do we want to go with the zombies or with Jesus? It was, you know, it wasn't that tough of a sell. In the okay. end, the zombies are looking pretty rough. Sure, absolutely. You know, right. Jesus was right. looking pretty creepy, but in the end, right. we decided to get saved. Okay, okay. Did Jesus have one of those super awesome purple robes? This was a white robe, Jed, and okay. you, I'll have you know, it was pleated. What? <laughs> well, you know, it's, uh, you got to have some pleats in a row. pleats, I, man. I guess, you know. Absolutely. But I'm wondering, dude, I mean, just as tactical attire goes, doesn't a long white pleated robe make it difficult to operate your Jesus tank? I mean, I feel like just well, functionally you, that would get in the way. What you, what you do is you get a belt and you cinch it. You cinch it. Did you Jesus get... have a belt on the billboard? That's a good question. Honestly, 
I was too disturbed to have noticed. <laughs> <laughs> I got the picture in front of me. We're, we're, we're from the waist up here in the picture. So. Hard to tell. Yeah, Lee in, uh, had to send me a picture of this billboard because I demanded it. Um, we do have uh, the entire background is fire. Okay. Okay. <laughs> that, I mean that essentially subtle. just the yeah, entire subtle. background is fire. Okay. Um, we have tanks. We have uh, a helicopter. And we have two commando-looking people. Now, the fun thing is that this is guaranteed to all be actual images that were just stolen for this right. because the uh, the military personnel pic- in pictured have full insignia and tags and stuff, which the military doesn't do in promotional images. Right, right, yeah. So in, as part of our, you know, Jesus will come back, we have stolen the United States government's intellectual property. Right. Which is good. And I, I like it's I'm still in control in red letters and then an ellipsis. And then that that's all in like, you know, just normal standard script. Right. But then Jesus is in cursive. So okay. I think they want us to think that Jesus signed this billboard. Right. <laughs> right. Right. That's right. That's right. That and, increases the billboard's value quite a bit. Yeah, yeah. And as if the pleats didn't give it away, I feel like it goes without saying, but he said super white Jesus. Oh, yeah. I well, you know, see. The pull, whitest Jesus. Pulling out a few threads here, and you said the background's just fire. So here's what I'm... Because it's a narrative. They're clearly trying to lay down a narrative. Right. Jesus has led his army of Jesus tanks right. into hell, right. where the zombies are, clearly, to take over, right? Because right? the gates of hell will not stand against it That's and right. whatnot. That's just in the Bible. What I'm wondering, is there a chance that this is actually all an advanced advertising campaign for the first Christian sci-fi summer blockbuster? Whoa, ah, yes. Yeah. I mean, yeah, the it, it, Jesus goes to hell. Yeah, he, you know, the, it beats up on the zombies. <laughs> exactly right. I want to see that movie. I would see that movie. Well, I also like the earnest naming convention that Lewis said stuff for the sequels. Jesus goes to hell. Jesus goes to camp. Jesus <laughs> saves Halloween. Oh, that's right. That's right. That's right. Take that, zombies. Yeah. You know, sure. something like that. Sure. You know how you ha- the action movies, they have catchphrases like... Yeah, absolutely. Hasta la vista, baby. Sure. Or the other one. Sure. That right. would be like, I tank you with my tank. Yeah. You know thank you like very that? much. Thank you very much. Boom. Yeah, this stuff writes itself. 1987 Schwarzenegger level pun. <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> thank you very much. Blow up a zombie in hell with your tank. Well, I feel edified. I, I <laughs> Do you, Jed? Do you feel edified? Is that how you feel? Jesus blew up a zombie in hell with his tank. Obviously, I feel edified by that. Well, Let's you're, you're about, about to feel it, more Jed. edified. Because I have found the website of this organization. Oh, Gosh. boy. I'm not going to give it out because those people didn't don't get free advertising from us. I will say... Um, we're talking about uh, Angel Fire GeoCities level of uh, web design here. <laughs> nice. So the, the uh, Believe is just, uh, we believe Jesus come back. They have a spot where you can sponsor your own interstate side billboard. Sure you can. Okay. And then there's a tab at the top of their website, if I may use that term incredibly generously. Sure. Um, that just says prophecy. <laughs> <laughs> what happens if you click on the prophecy tab, Matt? Because well, you know, maybe you don't, you don't want to put the prophecy on the splash page. <laughs> That's just for people who are interested in prophecy. Sure. You just click on the prophecy. Not everybody wants a prophecy. No, not at all. Like, you know, end of the world tomorrow, you don't want to just put that on the front page because some people aren't interested in that. Sometimes thing. you want to bury the headline. That's right. Yes. Well, I'm glad you asked, Jed. Um, one is you uh, get you take to a page that has three things on it. Okay. It has an image 
of a framed picture of a cross floating in a field. As in, like, the image includes the bronze frame, like, was in your grandmother's house around all her pictures. Okay. Not sure about that. It contains this bit of slug text. David Jeremiah, John Hayey, Adrian Rogers, all have done extensive studies in prophecy. Their teaching, along with many others, can be searched at, link to a website. I would never send you people to on my worst day. And then we come to the big money moment. Okay. Prophecy, colon. As we have stated, we believe that the Lord Jesus could return soon and encourage everyone to be personally prepared for his return. We believe this view is supported in the Bible through prophecy. There's no, no verses, no links, just that right. statement. Uh-huh. We have listed several links to ministries who provide reasonable teaching and discussion on prophetic <laughs> biblical topics. No, you haven't. Now, <laughs> when you use the word reasonable, uh, yeah, no. that's a word that has a meaning. That's right. Of reason can be reasoned with. Now, one can make the point that uh, st- something like an end times prophecy is inherently not reasonable because it's not a logical thing. Right, that don't make right, sense. Right, right. But when you say we've included links to reasonable people like John Hagee. Yeah. No. Yeah. Cancel that. No. No. And this brings no. us to, Jad, love you get to share one quick thing. I think this is a real, real world tip for the people Yeah. based on this kind of thing. And it's, it's a John Hagee specific. I'd like you to share the shofar theorem. Sure, absolutely, absolutely. Well, for those of us who did not grow up in super, super crazily church stuff like I did, um, a shofar actually comes from the Old Testament. Right. And uh, so back in the day, like thousands of years ago, uh, instruments were a little bit hard to come by, so they tend to be fashioned out of different things than they have today. So if you, one of the ways you could make a horn is you could, uh, you know, like a horn you would play, you could literally take a horn off of a big animal, and you mm. could hollow it out, and you could learn to, to play it. So um, if you take a ram's horn, and you hollow it out you can actually make a kind of a fairly loud sound out of it and that's what a shofar is mm-hmm. and and shofars are actually used in a lot of jewish religious ceremonies um and whatnot and that's fine and that's lovely today there are certain churches that really love having a shofar in <laughs> right. the sanctuary that makes it extra churchy it doesn't but they feel like it does yeah and they've always got a dude that wants to blow that shofar at every opportunity that dude is not well adjusted and here's what you need to know this is the shofar theorem if you visit a church and they have a shofar leave yeah yeah i'm telling you now time to go turn and go you see the shofar? You see that ram's horn just yeah. sitting up there on a stand? Just turn you around. You don't have to wait for him to blow it. Nope, just get back nope, in your car. It's going to happen. It's like, I feel it's like... It's Chekhov shofar. This is going yeah, to happen. Yeah, yeah, this is... Yeah, we, we got we to gotta go. Yep. So that's the shofar theorem. Here, here's my billboard. Please. Okay. All fire. Just okay. flames. <laughs> that's also the name of your mixtape. All right. fire, just flames. <laughs> it's everything. Everything is on fire. Okay. People running. Yes. Screaming. <laughs> yes. On fire. Okay. There, the people are on fire too. Everybody's on fire. Everything's on fire. The whole everybody's okay. on fire. There's drones. Okay. Dropping missiles. Right. On the people that are on fire. Okay. Okay. <laughs> and Seems like overkill. And it just said in this big block letters, have you thought about Jesus, question mark. <laughs> so you're pitching kind of a Michael Bay, Kirk Cameron co-joint. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Oh, <laughs> I think that's good. Oh, that's we're not going to top that. On that basis, I declare a very, very flame-retardant emergency off. That's well exactly done. Right. Well, every have month. You, have you thought out, about Jesus? Have, have you thought about Jesus? Yeah. Have Give you thought ball. about Bridgebox? Ooh, I'd like <laughs> wow. to. Bridgebox is a monthly. Is, is it on fire? It can be. Okay. 
We, at Bridgebox is a monthly digital magazine we put out. You get sermons, songs, Bible studies, devotionals, uh, all for only $8 a month. And that goes directly to the ministry we're doing here in Chicago. Helps us hire part-time staffers, helps us get people to job interviews, get people to visit family, lots of cool stuff. Every month you also get a story about what your uh, generous donation has helped us do. And here's the thing about our Bridgebox. Every month is based around a topic. This July we had What's the Point of Church? Mm-hmm. Good stuff. Going into... August, we will have a topic all about vulnerability. Mm-hmm. And if you wanted to ask the question, what do I do if zombies are attacking and I need to drone them? Yes. Uh-huh. We could cover that. We could sure, do a bridge box about that. Mm-hmm. Glenn, and, Glenn could preach on that. Jed and Lee could write upbeat pop numbers about that. Sure, yep. absolutely. Just, you know, fi- ready, fire one. And, you know, I think, I think it's a whole thing. Concept. Bridge boxes is what I'm pitching next. Well, I'm more came my new single. I want to be droned by your love right now. Sure, so. absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. But for now, you're just going to get stuff like the vulnerability in the church and all sorts of that stuff. So that's really good stuff. You check out missionusa.com/bridgebox. Eight dollars a month. It is the number one best way you can support what we're doing in Chicago and what we do on the podcast. So we super appreciate all our Bridgebox friends. All right, we're going to jump to our first question here. If you can hang out with us all the way to the end, I'll give you some ways you can get in touch with us. This comes in anonymously to our Tumblr inbox, and it says. I'm not sure what to do. I've come, I come from a messed up home and seem to be getting more broken by the minute. I was hurt in the past, and today I was the one to lash out and hurt my family. I'm moving away from the situation. I've made my apologies, and I understand that I'm already forgiven my God. Unfortunately, I cannot forgive myself for the person that I have become and don't know how to make sure that I'd never become that mean person again. Where or how do I start? A lot of good stuff in that question, and Glenn, why don't you kick us off? Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, here's the first thing is uh, there's a reason why we set boundaries in these kinds of relationships. And that reason is that uh, dysfunctional families, uh, families uh, with uh, people who have problems and are messed up and so forth, will push you past your limits. Wherever your limits are, they'll push you past them. You're absolutely right. And I think this is a a perfect example of something we talk about a lot when we talk about boundaries, which is boundaries are not a way to be mean. That's right. They're not a punishment. They are setting the parameters with, with, within which a healthy relationship can function. That's right. And, and in many cases, uh, when you're applying a boundary to someone who's acting poorly and in, in, in a dysfunctional manner, it's a way of preserving that relationship mm-hmm. and keeping mm-hmm. it, protecting it from being completely destroyed by this behavior. But it's also, of course, a, a way of protecting yourself from your own mental health becoming, you know, completely eroded. Uh, here's the thing. Uh, you know, I started as a, a, as a prison chaplain right out of uh, college, and it was a crazy uh, sort of education on human nature. You would go, and uh, as is often the case even today, inmates will be segregated according to their crimes uh, within a facility so that you have... Uh, guys who've committed uh, violent crimes and assaults in this wing, and this wing is th- theft, and you know, uh, you know, eighty uh, percent of the f- facility is people who've been uh, arrested for nonviolent drug offenses. Exactly right. Uh, but then there's the wing that are murderers, and uh, in 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 years past in in Houston where I started, uh, they didn't have really a gang presence in Houston. It was mostly uh, the drug dealers kept uh, gangs out, so there was no competition. So you would go onto that wing, and every single person on there would be a non-criminal person who's not been. A, they all got into a fight with a friend or a family member, and they killed them. Yeah. 
that's every single one of them. They, crime of passion would be the uh, crime of passion term. is the is is a term that that, that we would use. Uh, these are these are people who just have not you know they just they just lost their mind. You know they just got into an argument and somebody had a gun or somebody had a knife or somebody had a brick, and that was the end of it. Ninety percent, nine plus percent of crime of murders are solved when the police go in and one person is lying in a pool of blood and the other person who is closely related to them or a very close friend of theirs is standing there with the gun saying i did it i did it i did it i can't believe i just did it you know that's and crying yeah and crying that's not what you see on tv but that's not, I, I thought a know. grizzled detective in overcoat came in flicked a cigarette out and then gave like a witty one-liner yeah that's yeah, yeah. He, as he pulled his shades down yeah that's not that's not well that's uh, disappointing yeah no uh that pretty much never happens so that's not that's entertaining yeah but what what it shows what you very quickly figure out is anybody is capable of anything yeah. so almost like we are all depraved not right. partially depraved totally uh, totally oh. depraved as our as our reform that's people sound would tell very us. christian to me uh, and th- so that, i think that's the thing is to recognize first and foremost you're capable of anything and therefore, don't ever let your yourself get pushed that far past your limits. And uh, I think, just as I sent it around to these other guys, I think it's about recognizing that uh, to to be understanding of the larger situation that you can't apply guilt to yourself and let them off of the hook. You know, you can't. You know, it, it, yes, you're responsible for letting them push you too far, but. They did a lot yeah. of hard work over a long, consistent period of time when they should have known better, when they should have recognized what they were doing to you, to push and push and push and push you to get to this point. So they are they bear a measure of responsibility in this thing, too. And I think we need to be you know, even-handed about that. I think it's a really fantastic way to start. And Joe, I'd love to get you to pick up where Glenn left us off there. This idea of kind of um, understanding that, looking at that, that's... Part of the reason is Glenn's pointing out that holding on to that guilt doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense theologically because right. um, we're all super guilty and God yeah. forgive us anyway. But it also doesn't help us get anywhere because one of the things that stops us from doing is looking at what happened. And that's actually a pretty key part to moving on, right? No doubt about it. I think this deserves to be said very clearly and, and very directly. Guilt will not keep you from committing the same sin again. Yep. Um, yeah. I want to I want to repeat that it doesn't matter if the sin we're talking about is lust, naughty things on the internet, being mean to people, stealing you know, from your employer, cheating on tests, whatever. Guilt will not keep you from doing the same thing again. Yep, guaranteed. Um, and and you you need to know that if you want to move past a struggle, what will help you do that is understanding the process that led you to do the thing. Yeah. That will actually make a difference. With any sin, you want to start with understanding it. You want to start with understanding what set the context for it. So in your case, what led to you lashing out? What The term you've heard us use in the show before is what were the triggers that set you off? What, what were the things that your family members said or did? We were like, okay, that's it. I've had enough now. We need to understand what those things are. And, and, and we need to understand why it seemed like a good idea. In other words, it, it sounds like you kind of lost your temper and lost your mind a little bit. And so in part you did that because you thought that might work. You thought at the very least there might be a payoff. So what was that payoff supposed to be? Was that that you would feel powerful for a moment? Was that that, that you would silence their behavior for a moment? 
moment, there, you had a payoff in mind. And, and I think you, you should think about what was that payoff going to be? What, what was that? The more that you understand a sin, the more you can move past it. Here's give you an example of what I mean. Suppose that for plenty of people that struggle with kind of anger management issues, it, there is a power dynamic to it. They get tired of feeling powerless, and then they lose their temper in an effort to assert power in that moment. Now, it's not going to work, but the dynamic makes sense of, of how they would come by it. Well, if that were true for you, if we looked at it and we said, that's my thing, then it's about saying, how do we take a hold of an appropriate degree of power and control of your own life in healthy ways mm-hmm. in your life? How do we build things where you can say, no, I have control in my life. I have an appropriate, healthy amount of power in my life, so that when those trigger moments inevitably happen, you know, and your, your family's sending a message, we're in charge, you're not in charge, you can actually counter that with good, godly evidence as opposed to turning to anger to try and fix that problem. But we can't do any of that if we don't start with understanding how and why the sin occurred to begin with. Absolutely right. I think that's a really important thing. One of the things that's going on here is... um, I wrote. I did a, a blog post on when someone wrote this question into the the Tumblr. And one of the things I kind of pointed out in that is one of the very helpful things that all three of the guys on this show have, uh, would have told you and have told me in our private time is um, it it super helps to be able to relate to yourself as if you were counseling someone else. You know, mm-hmm. what would I tell someone else in this? And this is all stuff we're speaking to you. Tell them you remind them that this is it's not a shock for someone to kind of blow up when they've been pushed too far. You would remind them, you would walk through the things that happened with them. But part of that, that is very healthy kind of counseling and modeling. And when you haven't received that from the outside, it can be very difficult to do it for yourself. So Lee, maybe mm. if you can walk us through that kind of, you know, the, the way you would counsel someone who has been in a similar situation and then how we can turn that on ourselves. Yeah, I think one of the really, um, that's a really good, really good point, really good way to look at this. I think one thing is just to encourage yourself that you've, you know, you've already started down the right road in the sense that you've confessed it. You're seeking a way to get yourself in a less, you know, in a situation where you're not as triggered. You know, you're talking about kind of moving out and that kind of stuff. You're already making great moves. Um, so if you were sitting down one-on-one with any of us and you're telling us all this information, we would say, hey, you're on the right path. You're, you're already making some good decision. That's good. One of the things that, to me, as I'm looking at this, uh, that I would try to get you to see is that one of the reasons that you're having a hard time forgiving yourself is precisely because the other people in your family have been so messed up and have misbehaved. Because when you're in that situation, if you've ever had to call somebody else on their misbehavior or something, it gives you, um, not intentionally, but it gives you a false sense of like, I'm now on, everybody now perceives me as being on a different standard. You know what I mean? So like mm-hmm. you're, you know, it, every, you know, Everybody else has been misbehaving toward me. If I have to call you on that, or if I have to set boundaries, now I'm kind of saying, of course, we all know I would never do those things. Um, this mm. is one of the reasons that a lot of times, this is, this is kind of a, a sideways way to look at this, but it's one of the reasons that parents often have a really hard time ad- confessing and admitting their own wrong to their kids. Because they've spent the, their entire lives being the shot caller and being the one saying, you can't do this. You can't do this. This is not the way we behave. So when they behave in an out-of-pocket way, they don't feel like they can really admit that um, because, hey, I'm the, I'm the shot caller here. I'm, I'm the standard bearer. So I can't be wrong. Um, it's one of the reasons that it makes it hard to forgive yourself when you've stepped out of line with misbehaving you know, w- with misbehaving people. The the good news is, is that we go right back to where Glenn started this, which is that we're all super messed up. We all are 
potentially can can uh, get you know you know behave in a selfish way and a messed up way and all that kind of stuff and all we have to do is be willing to look at that and then and then we can know it's totally fine um it's it's fine that i'm a human being it's fine that i'm a sinner it's fine that i uh, i mess up sometimes i'm going to confess that i'm going to to reapply for you know the closeness of our relationship in a in a healthy and a mature and an adult way if you can see that I, I think this is one piece that if you can see it you can get over this part of i know god's forgiven me but i can't forgive myself i think we have a hard time forgiving ourselves because well as soon as we start calling people out now we're on a different plane we're not on a different plane we're just like everybody else. It's exactly as Glenn started this thing out. And once you, once you can admit that and be totally cool with that, then you can give yourself the grace to be a person who, from time to time, is selfish or out of pocket or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. I just want to tack on the end of the really good stuff that Lee was saying there. Is that the, you know, one of the things we try and, and, and stress to our people constantly who are, you know, trying to make permanent life changes, get over addictions and so forth. What we try and tell them is to think in terms of temptation uh, as th- it, there is a number above which you cannot maintain this behavior. Yep. Yep. That might be different for everybody, but once that level of temptation gets above a certain amount, you will fail. It yep. has a, it has a, it's like a, a you know, a, a, a house. You can, you can blow enough wind at it, and eventually it'll blow over. It's just nothing's indestructible. Your, your psyche cannot just withstand an infinite amount of temptation. Uh, you say, well, I could just keep praying. Yeah, but you're a human being. There's yeah. everybody right. reaches a breaking point. So the point is, you have to reduce the level of that negative input to give yourself enough time to pray and regroup yeah. and get back on track. So I think that's that we have to have a, a realistic and, yeah. and not a pie in the sky view of that. Absolutely. Another thing you'll hear people you'll you will hear people talk about from the bridge a lot. Our pastors is um, we have a decent number of pastors at this point who are one of the reasons they do the work they do is because they are recovering addicts themselves, and they will say they will stand on stage and say, you know, I've been clean for twenty twenty five years, whatever it is, but there are neighborhoods I don't go in. There, if I have certain smells or sounds, mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. I will get up out of a restaurant and just walk out yep. because yep. not playing with it. And that's part of this idea of everyone has their limit, and it's. It is not a good strategy to, as Glenn is saying, it's a good strategy to pray. Maybe we sh- we could all stand to do a little less praying for strength and a little more praying for wisdom Yeah, mm-hmm. to understand Say when that. we need to leave as yeah. opposed to, if yeah. you're praying for unlimited strength to withstand bad circumstances forever, that's not going to happen. That's not yeah, a thing right. that exists. That's not a thing that can be granted to you. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really not a great idea. But I would I would go back to this idea of... Don't beat yourself up. Imagine that your best friend who you care about is come to you with a similar thing. The thing you would say to them is, okay, well, yes, yelling at your family was not cool, but I think this makes a lot more sense considering what you've been through. And I think right. we can look at, you know, when so-and-so starts saying that next time, you just excuse yourself and go wash your hands and get a couple of seconds. And th- these are these are fail- failings of behavior, not failings of character. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And if we can look at ways to modify the behavior, we can all get where we're going. Yeah. All right, we're going to move to our next question here. It also comes in anonymously to our Tumblr inbox, which is a good thing for all of us. All right, it says, how important is physical attraction in dating? I feel like I'm being shallow, but sometimes I'm just not physically attracted to a girl, even though on paper she was wonderful and kind and loves God and would probably make a very good wife. 
Do I tell myself to just go forward and try to find her attractive later, or do I give a, a potentially good mate? Also, how important is attraction in marriage? I know we all get older and uglier, but is it rude to ask your wife to start working out? Yes. I'm against oh, all of God. that. Oh, God. Normally, yes. I would admonish Glenn and say you'll get your turn, <laughs> but no, we needed that one to come out immediately. Yes, that's bad. Yes. Do not ever, <laughs> never do that. And that is the last word we'll give on asking your, on telling your spouse to work out, because that's all that needs to be said. No. Yep. Don't do don't that. Don't do that. Oh, so, no. because that got over so quickly, that allows us to speak to this greater idea of, is attraction important in relationships, and is it kind of a snap judgment thing? Can it come later? All that good stuff. And Jed, why don't you start us off on that? Right on. So, try. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But well, just to be clear. Yeah. Are you in favor of husbands telling their wives to work out? Just, no, because you weren't very you weren't very vocal before. So let me be perfect. Everybody clear. knows. Never, ever <laughs> tell ever. your spouse they need to work out. Don't yeah. say those words. T- tell you what, let's expand this out. If if you're not someone's physician with whom they're having a consultation, uh, don't tell anyone to work out. Yeah, That's no one. Never. Fair. If That's you're not fair. a personal trainer nor a medical doctor, your opinion based on that should not matter. Let's expand it out even further. Don't comment on other people's bodies. Hello. Yeah, right. There we Ever. go. Ever. Anyone's yeah. body. Yeah. Their height, yeah. their weight, their yeah. anything, their yeah. hair. If you're not complimenting them, their shoes, their clothes, don't say anything. Yes. Yeah. Inside thoughts. This yes. has been a say that PSA. Do, do, do. <laughs> if you're a personal trainer. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> Don't tell your wife she needs to work out. Yes. Even so. <laughs> yes. You, on a professional level, you know. Yes. Keep Is it your inside. wife one of your clients? If not, don't if tell not, her she needs to work out. You know, the, the, they don't do that. Yeah. Yeah. All, right. All good advice. Jed, attraction's importance. Go. All right. um, I have a lot of heathen friends, um, like super, super heathen. And that's worth saying because actually most Christians today don't have very many non-Christian friends. Um, and right. the, what I'm about to tell you comes from a place of having a lot of extremely heathen friends. Heathen being a word they would use to describe themselves. Oh, yeah. They're unabashedly and enthusiastically heathen. Um, <laughs> and um, I, had, I had a buddy, I mean, he's still a buddy, but I, I had a buddy who uh, was really into the exotic dancers. Uh, that's yeah. um, uh, if you is don't... that like uh, ballet? No, it's more exotic than ballet, Glenn. Is that like modern? Is it t- like tap dancing? No, no. Okay. Uh, what else you got? Keep it coming. Jazz, uh, like no. a, a expressionistic. Uh, no. Sort of Nobody like a... believes you, Glenn, that you <laughs> yeah. don't know what he means. So for, for those of you that are truly confused, an exotic dancer is the polite term for a stripper. Oh. Um, and, uh, and Removes that, paint from things. What's up? Removes paint from things. Yeah, that's things. exactly, yep. that's exactly okay, what we're yeah. talking about. So, And I'm against all of that. That's the key thing. That's mm-hmm. the important thing to know. Um, but, uh, but that was his jam. He just, he, he loved exotic dancers. He, you know, he, he loved the, the, the strip club. That was his whole thing. And he was very attracted to... Uh, uh, that type and that look and that thing. And here's the thing. He found a way to be at strip clubs all the time. He he found a way to date exotic dancers because that's the thing that he wanted more than anything else in life. Right. So he pursued it. No one was confused about the fact this is what this dude is into. Right. right. I tell you that to tell you this. That's actually pretty rare. 
people talk all the time about things they claim they're attracted to, but there's no evidence that that's actually the thing that they want. Mm. If we if we look at cars for a second, plenty of people would look at a Corvette and say, "Wow, that's so amazing! That's so, I'd love to have a car like that." It turns out, if you're willing to buy an old and fairly junked out Corvette, you can get one pretty cheap. Yeah, uh, there, there's they made them a long time. There's there's a lot of them sitting around. Um, but for every person that says, man, it'd be really amazing to have a Corvette, very few of them are actually taking steps towards yeah. having a Corvette. Right. The vast majority of them are driving a nice Hyundai. Right. And there's, there's nothing wrong with that, but it is what you actually want and what you tell you so, yourself you want are two different things. Mm-hmm. All right. Here's how that relates to your situation. You have probably looked at naughty things on the internet, just guessing, mm-hmm. and you have told yourself that this is what I want. This this is mm-hmm. the thing that I'm that I'm actually looking for, um, because it turns you on. Because it because you have a, a sense of raw arousal in in response to it. The same mm-hmm. way a guy a person looks at a Corvette and goes, "Wow, that's a cool car." Mm-hmm. And in both cases, there's several billion dollars in marketing telling you that's what you want your entire life. Exactly right. Exactly right. But the key thing is that raw arousal and being attracted are not actually the same thing. Hello. Um, they have some of similar constituent pieces. But they're actually not the same thing. The guy says, I'm, you know, this Corvette's really what I want, but then he actually does all the work to find a nice Hyundai and whatnot. He has raw arousal towards the Corvette. He's actually attracted towards the Hyundai. These are, these are two separate things. And there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that. But I go through all that to say, I'm not sure you know what you're attracted to. Exactly. Mm-hmm. You, you might have a sense of what you feel raw arousal towards, and as Matt is suggesting, billions of dollars in advertising has gone into shaping you having Yeah, the idea response. that you just came up with that by yourself is not a true one. Exactly mm-hmm. right, exactly right. But that's very different from what are you attracted to. Mm-hmm. And I'm not even saying, oh, well, there's parts of attraction that aren't physical. That's true, but, that, but still, physical attraction. I don't think you as a person necessarily know what you are physically attracted to. Mm-hmm. I, I think you're making some assumptions based on that. I'll, I'll give you one more example before I kick it around to these other fellows. I want you to imagine that the only music you had ever heard your entire life was extreme Swedish death metal. That's it. Right. Just blast beats and cookie monster vocals and sh- you know shredding electric guitars. And then one day you were unleashed into the world of Spotify and you could listen to anything. This is the thing. If someone asked, what kind of music do you like? You wouldn't know. Right. You wouldn't have any idea. Mm-hmm. Because you, it takes work to discover the things that you like. Exactly. It takes investment Thank to discover you. what your sense of taste is. Yes. Um, you, you may or may not like extreme death metal, but you don't know what else you might or might not like. It right. takes work. It takes investment. I think part of the problem that you're experiencing is you have... The one look, which is the swimsuit model look, that you've been told you will be aroused by this, Mm -hmm. but you haven't really explored anything else. And Mm -hmm. I think you owe it to yourself to relax, to not judge yourself, but to give yourself the freedom to explore in all kinds of areas of life, including dating, what might I actually be interested in and attracted to. That's a very important point. I think it brings up something that's definitely worth exploring. Lee, I'd love to get you to pick up on this. There is a fundamental difference between acknowledging that something is uh, mostly objectively agreed on as good-looking. As Mm -hmm. Jed's pointing out, that's mostly a media construct, if I may dust off my liberal arts degree there for a moment. But there's a difference between that and what is attractive. And uh, the other thing Jed's pointing out here, one of the only ways you can find out if you're attracted to someone is by, like, 
spending time with them. Yeah. Yeah. And that's both physically, but uh, you're you're not attracted just to a physical body. You're attracted to a whole por- whole person, or that's the way it's supposed to work anyway. But how do we do this kind of engaging on? Now, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I'm attracted to them. I maybe I'm not even sure what attractive is. So where does someone proceed from there if that's the situation they're in? Well, and it's exactly we start exactly where 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 Jeb was leaving off on this that that and actually wrote in my notes the same thing. Attraction is huge. It's just it isn't what you think it is. Um, yeah. You, you yeah. don't know what you're attracted to, and you don't know what it is because he's exactly right about the physical the physical arousal and physical attraction. Everybody has different tastes, but people don't know what they are. But also, there are so many more elements to attraction. Um, there are when 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 you're talking to someone and and they you know they start expressing things in a certain way and you realize i have to get out of this conversation right now i cannot stand to have you know to i i can't, I can't stand to talk about things in this way and this person always does that man and when i saw their picture i just thought they were super hot and now i realize i'm not actually attracted to them at all Mm-hmm, um, but mm-hmm. you wouldn't know that if the only engagement you have is you look at a picture of someone and then you decide based on based on the way that they look, pure pure and simple, this is the person I'm attracted to. Attraction has to do with someone's personality, with their with the the way that they talk, the kinds of things that they're interested in, the way that their laugh sounds, the way that you walk together, the way that they the the way that when you say something funny, they grab your hand and you, you it's like there are so many indefinable things. And this is the deal is we could talk for hours about all the things that uh that that define what makes, you know, for instance, the three guys that are married on this podcast, why we're attracted to our wives. We could talk about that forever, but it wouldn't it wouldn't help you figure out how you're attracted to, you know, the the, you know, the woman that you're going to be attracted to because you've got to figure this out by dating someone. Mm-hmm. By sitting across the table from them and having a conversation with them, by listening to them and asking questions of them about themselves, asking her questions about herself, and then answering the questions that she's asking you, and hanging out in different kinds of environments. And lo and behold, when you watch someone, uh, you, you watch someone that you think you're starting to get attracted to, uh, you watch them serve the Lord, and then you find out what attraction was in a way that you never even knew that it was possible. I mean, there's so much about attraction that you haven't even scratched the surface of if the place that you're going is, well, you know, the, you know, the, the way somebody looks, that's the basis of attraction. And, you know, based on some of the, the things that were said in the, in the question, we know that, you know, this is the way, this is the bill of go- goods that you've been sold, is that basically when we're, when we're in our 20s, we're young and hot, and that's the best that attraction's going to be, that's the best that sex is going to be, and so let's just figure all this stuff out based on the, 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 the most shallow common denominator. And here's the deal is all of this stuff, the attraction, uh, sex after marriage, all of that stuff gets more developed, more interesting, more amazing, more nuanced, more wonderful. The longer that you're together with someone, the more that you know him. And these dudes and myself included on this podcast that have been married for a long time, uh, we can tell you this stuff just gets better and better. Attraction, friendship, 
sex, all that stuff just gets more interesting, more fun, more cool, more unbelievably giving than you ever thought it could be when you thought it was just, you know, physical arousal or whatever. That's a really good place to start here. And one of the things that's kind of um, going on here, we I feel like I point this out a lot, but it feels neat to. If you're a young person who's heard a uh, preacher, a youth minister, a, a youth ministry staff person, a, a con- conference speaker, a Christian book writer, um, particularly a male one, talk about the thoughts they had when they first uh, met their wife, they're lying. Yep. They are telling a marketable lie based on the fact that they ended up marrying this person. Yep, yep. And that lie is, man, there was just something different about this person. Just drawn I, to man, her heart, man. Drawn to, and she was just laughing and playing with the children, and it's all, I was just amazed. I knew the life we'd have together. And that's one of two things. One is what they actually mean is, I thought she was super-duper hot, right. and I went and talked to her, mm-hmm. and through the process of dating, found out that there were other many awesome qualities about her right. that I wanted to marry. That's cool. I don't know right. why we can't just say that, but... Yep. Or they're saying, I'm the kind of dude who fell in love with everyone I saw. Yep. Right. We all know that person. And this is the one I happened to end up marrying. So that's the person I'm telling you the story about now. <laughs> yeah. I'm not technically lying. Right. <laughs> so again, this, this all comes out in errors we've been told. And I, we've been uh, using kind of, we've been leaning pretty male heavy. All the stuff that uh, Lee and Jed said totally applies to women as well. They've been sold to Bill Goods about what they're supposed to attract to. It's a little different, but mm-hmm. increasingly because... Uh, of the proliferation of internet pornography has a physical uh, component as well. But Glenn, if you can kind of clean this up for us on what, what should someone be looking for? What, what are the things yeah. we should be uh, moving into as we find some attraction here? Well, you know, it's funny. I, I, we're, we're bashing this guy and bless him on, on certain points. He deserves to be bashed. We're just trying to protect uh, him from future bashing. That's, that's all. really in a very literal sense. True. Uh, but the truth is, uh, at a young age, a very young age, I was this guy. I mean, I would never have told anyone that they need to work out ever. When I was younger, I had this mentality of, uh, let me, um, try and find the hottest woman that I could possibly. Sure. That was the whole point. This was the game of yeah. dating, you know, uh, at least in my shallow mind. And I, I, I tried that. I mean, I tried, and I, I, I did what Lee is suggesting. I dated a, a, a lot of gals, and um, a lot of that ended poorly because I didn't have a whole lot to offer, and I wasn't working on that. And also, I was trying to just find another person who might be hotter that might be coming around the corner. And every little, every town has its own beauty pageant. And they have like, if you live in Iowa, it's like the corn husker queen. Right. Or like the, the hay meadow queen or the, 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 you know, if you're, if there's a lot of dairy cows, it's a dairy queen. Sure. I think is what they call that. Sure. <laughs> yeah. But like a different, you know, like a, a beauty, local beauty, beauty pageant. Well, where I grew up was next to the space program. So the literal name of our beauty queen for our little town there was the Lunar Rendezvous Queen. <laughs> well. <Wow. laughs> and uh, and uh, here's the thing. One year, the sister of one of my close buddies became the Lunar Rendezvous Queen. That's quite an honor. Yeah, it is. And so um, I asked her, speaking of Lunar Rendezvous, 
you know, not, yeah. being, not being entirely sure what either of those words meant in your young line. Right. Uh, just sounded sexy. Sure. I said it real sexy like that. Sure, absolutely. Know? Just like that. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, uh, I, I asked her out, and uh, we went out on a date. And this was the thing, and I'm bragging to all my friends. I'm I'm dating a little rendezvous queen fools, you know, yeah, suck right. that, you know, <laughs> deal with that. You know. I was so proud of myself. And we went out on this date, and I want to say, I have never tried so hard to get a conversation going right. and not be able to do it. I mean, I just could not, I literally could not figure out a subject that the two of us could discuss at any length. Sure. <laughs> and it got mi- real miserable real fast. Yeah. And she was miserable with me being miserable. Sure. It was the only time in my entire life, out of all the gals that I dated, where lit- we we were eating, and then we were going to go to a movie, and we're gonna, yeah. we had a whole night planned. We were halfway through the meal. I looked over to her, and I said, would you like to go home right now? And she said yes. And I was so <laughs> relieved. I can't even tell you. It's never happened to me before. It was just, let's just pull the ripcord on this. Sure. This is so bad so quick. Sure, sure. And I was just, I was just sitting there dismayed in the car after I dropped her off. I just... I'm trying to figure out how did how could this possibly go wrong? I made the most shallow decision possible. She's a beauty queen. She's a literal beauty queen, literal rendezvous queen, and everything, y'all. Yeah. All my friends are jealous. All my friends are jealous. How could this not be great? You know. And what's funny is after that, I kind of went through a little bit of a tailspin, and I I thought back to this gal that I had dated before, and. And uh, uh, we had moved away temporarily, so we were living in different cities, so we weren't able to date anymore. But I, I, I searched my brain. I said, you know, I think of all the gals I've dated, who did I miss out on? And I yeah. thought back on her. I thought, you know. And you're talking and, about a gal different from the beauty queen. A, a, a different from the beauty queen. And I thought about her, and I said, you know what? She really was beautiful. Not in a geometrically perfect model kind of way, but in the kind of way, I don't know if you can dig what I'm saying, where if you stop and really look at her, the longer you look at her, the more beautiful she would get. I don't know if that makes sense. I don't know if you've ever seen like a painting or something like that. At first glance, you don't really notice it, but then you get into it and you're like, wow, that's actually amazing. That's exactly how she was. I mean, such an awesome personality. And that's what I thought was, with her, I could just talk all night long. I mean, we could just have sure. these great conversations. And I was, I mean, understand, this was an attractive woman. Sure. I was attracted. She was really, really a beautiful, beautiful sure. gal. And the kind of gal that you easily sp- see yourself spend the rest of your life with. And I'm sitting there thinking, how on earth did I ever let this gal slip yeah. through my fingers? Now, I'm telling that story to tell you this story. I'm in the Blockbuster video. I am dating myself now by telling you a story about Blockbuster video. I'm in the Blockbuster <laughs> video. I am at the bottom of the the emotional well, you know. I'm As in, were most Blockbuster video customers. Exactly this right. This is the all is lost moment. In That's right. Story. It, yeah. Exactly right. The the dirty t-shirt, the sweatpants yeah. and everything. And there she is. And just if anything more beautiful than ever. Yeah. Like glowing yeah. somehow. There yes. she's glowing yes. somehow. And I'm like, and you're not looking. You're not holding a true foe box in your hand. You've got, you know, exactly. Caddyshack three. Yeah, or, you know, or Ernest goes to camp, etc. You know, something awful. And I'm like, you know, and she, of course, sees me before I see her. I would have just gone Glenn. running. Yeah, Glenn. <laughs> oh, so good to see you. Uh. And, <laughs> and it was like that. Immediately, my my mind was like, 
this is fate. This is <laughs> destiny. We were meant to meet at the Blockbuster video. We'll tell the story to our children one day, you know. And uh, and she's standing there, and she's just being so beautiful. It's like painful. I don't know if people know what the, I'm talking about. It was just painful to look at her because she was so beautiful. And she's like, oh, it's just so good to see you. It's just great to catch up. We should talk and things. I'm like, yeah, we, 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 we definitely we should. should talk a lot about things and situations, okay? Then she says, oh, let me introduce you to my fiancé. Now, understand, tall, okay, good looking in a way that was kind of rude. Sure, Uh, jaw you can just cut glass on. uh, Nice. You know, he's like in my face. Can can I try and and, and do an impression real quick? I have a cast. Please do, please do, yeah. Glenn, I've heard so many good things about you. I'm Chet. Wonderful to meet this, you. This is what I'm talking about. Okay. And it's like, you know what? Take two steps back, Chet. Yeah. Because back it up. Back, back it up. Back it up. <laughs> because, dang, dude, you're just messing up my whole life right now. Okay. <laughs> I remember I didn't even check out my video. I just dropped my video and left. Just ran. <laughs> yeah. But the, it's No, I'll never know if we're in a safe camp. <laughs> That's right. Glenn, are you crying? <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. It's just, just raining outside. But this is what I'm saying. Long story to make a simple point. That that you need to pray. Bless your heart. This I'm a, I'm a help your situation. You need to pray that God would give you eyes to see a, what real beauty is my man yes and that you'd see that when you recognize it you're you're not just signing up uh for the hottest woman you can find you're signing up for a roommate for life dude and uh you know you need somebody who's healthy balanced well adjusted who is beautiful the inside and out no question about it uh but you have to have eyes to see that and hot is not the same thing as beautiful absolutely right and uh, i would close this out on this by kind of um pointing out that um, a lot of what Glenn talked about there is true, um, but also, and one thing he he definitely mentions the story, but it's worth definitely bringing out to the uh, the four is that uh, beauty, as Glenn put it, is a subjective thing. Yeah, hot yeah. is objective. Hot is uh, we all had to get together and agree on this. Yeah. And that's why this person is on the swimsuit. Yeah, the, mm-hmm. and the marketing team has done that. They have gotten together yes. and decided. Yeah, this person was assigned a number grade. And then stacked up with other professionally attractive people, and we picked one of them. Mm-hmm. One of the things we're, we're dealing with here is um, you, as part of discovering what you find attractive, you have to uh, let yourself answer that question. Yeah. And a lot of that is, as Lynn's pointing out, maybe not exactly what you've been told you should be physically attracted to. Some of that is, you know, sometimes you don't realize you're attracted to someone until they make you laugh or mm-hmm. until you see them do something sweet or, mm-hmm. you know, all that. That all counts. There's not this idea of you look at it, you look at someone once and then you're either attracted to them or not. And then you either have a choice between um, a, a life totally avoid of sexual attraction or not being able to spend more time with this person. This is this is all productive stuff. And Jed, one more thing on this. Last but not least, never tell anyone they need to work out. Oh, yeah. yeah. A good yeah. note to end on. Don't do that. Yes. Take yeah. the same tack towards telling someone they should work out as you do towards asking a woman if she's pregnant. Don't. Yeah. Let's uh, look up a Wikipedia entry of someone named Lorraine Bobbitt. <laughs> Really? Oh, my word. <laughs> really? <laughs> you proud of yourself, Glenn? No, I'm not. <laughs> no, I really am not. There's going to be a that. meeting. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and on that note, we move on to our final question, because I can't move on quick enough from that. Comes in anonymously to our Tumblr inbox, and it says, 
I know a lot of people agree that physical abuse is justifiable reasons for divorce, but what about something like verbal or emotional abuse? So obviously uh, we've taken a shift in tone here, yep. folks, so bear with us. But before I kick around these guys, very important question, and even if divorce is not the idea, I think this idea of you know verbal abuse versus other kinds of abuse is an important one. It applies to a lot of people. Uh, we will start off by saying, uncategorically, if you are in a situation where you feel abused, leave. Yep. Mm, Again, yes. A, we know it's not as easy as that. There's a lot of stuff. But um, this whole idea of, well, it wasn't that bad. If, if it turns out that it wasn't that bad, you can figure that out later. The first thing right. is achieve space. If you feel unsafe, find a place you feel safe. And then everything kind of starts from that. But we're going to give you a little more advice of what to do when you're in that place where you feel you can look at something and evaluate it. But it, it should go without saying, but we're not going to let it go without saying that if you're unsafe, for whatever reason, you don't have to justify that to anyone. Get out, get safe, and then we can move on from there. But once we're there and we're looking at the situation about kind of this line of uh, verbal abuse, what, what constitutes it, how serious it is, uh, Lee, maybe you can kick us off on that. There's not this crystal clear verse about verbal, emotional abuse and divorce, but there, there are lots of verses about the way that we should treat each other, the way that believers should handle each other in their relationships, friendship, marriage, all that kind of stuff, uh, the relationships in the churches and everything. One of the things, for instance, uh, Ephesians chapter five, verses like three through 11, if you check that out, one of the things that it says is, do not be partners with... Uh, and then it gives kind of a long list of, it, it kind of keeps it under this umbrella of like evil stuff that people do in the dark, whether that's sexual immorality or it, it specifically talks about coarse evil talk. It says these acts shouldn't be, these acts should not be endured, but rather exposed. And that's a really, really important word. It says in verse seven, therefore do not be partners with them. In verse 12, it says, it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. Verse 11, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. Everything exposed by the light becomes visible. And that's an important word because what we want to do is, like Matt said, you want to get to a place, if you're in an abusive situation or you know someone who is, get to a place of, of safety where you have advocacy, where you have someone who has your back, someone who is on your side. Uh, someone who will stick up for you, someone who will listen to your story and help you see this stuff. Because this is not the kind of thing that you want to figure out by yourself. And that's a, that, that's a really, really important piece to this. The, the way that Paul's talking about this is there's stuff that goes on in the dark. And if it goes on in the dark, then other people have the ability to enable it, to kind of be a partner with it, to, to let it keep going. And what he says we need to do is expose it. So you bring other eyes in and then somebody can help you see like, no, we're never putting up with this again. You should not be talked to that way. Um, we, we're going to stand beside you. We're going to call this person on this. We're going to have, you know, we're going to have these conversations, whether that's with a counselor, whether that's with pastors or elders, whether that's with family members who have your back, but you want to be able to say, um, you know, line by line, the way that you speak to me in this way, this way, this way, understand, I will not be tolerating any of this anymore and have other people alongside you saying, this is intolerable. Um, you know, so whether or not that, you know, calls for a separation, which I all the time, if there's any kind of kind of, you know, verbal, emotional abuse, my first thing is separation and then we will figure it out. 
we'll take some time to look at it and figure it out. And there's actually a lot of research lately that, that is saying that not only is verbal and emotional abuse unbelievably damaging, but the latest psychological research says that the effects of verbal and emotional abuse can be, in a lot of cases, worse and longer lasting than the effects of physical abuse. This is the kind of thing that you've got to get away from, and then you've got to get eyes on task to figure it out. Don't, this is a thing that you don't want to do by yourself, or if you see somebody else in it, don't let them try to figure it out by themselves. We want to expose this stuff, understand it, and then know how to move forward in it. That's absolutely right, and Glenn, I'd love to go to you for this on kind of let's let's uh, spe- specify down this question. Uh, Lee did a great job handling the broads. Uh, let's take a look at this idea of this verbal abuse within marriage, within divorce. How mm-hmm. does it compare to other kinds of abuse? And obviously that applies to any situation in which we would treat uh, physical abuse one way. How mm-hmm. should we treat verbal abuse comparatively? Well, uh, abuse is abuse. Yep. Uh, when you're looking to intentionally uh, hurt someone, whether it be emotionally, physically, you name it. Anything where you're saying, I uh, am angry, I am displeased, I am filling the blank, therefore I will will intentionally hurt you, Uh, that's by definition a marriage that has uh, completely slipped the bonds of the marriage vows. I mean, that's we're way out there. Now, let's be clear... uh, all married couples everywhere get into arguments. Sure. And it's not right. unheard of, certainly, for just about any marriage to have an episode or two somewhere in there where you are both just so strung out and tired and frazzled and upset about something, and you just say something that is very hurtful and abusive and, and negative. And... You wake up the next day and you regret saying that. And, you know, if we're talking about a one-off thing, that's that's maybe a, a different uh, kind of subject than what we're talking about here. If we're talking about a lot of negative talk, then that's a little bit different from what we're saying here. Yeah. Uh, it, 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 and it's important to recognize the difference between someone who's seeking to be abusive, just causing pain, uh, uh, intentionally mm-hmm. versus someone who might think that they're helping by mm-hmm. saying so or doing something that is negative. That's a different problem and it's a different, uh, w- would require a different solution. Mm-hmm. It's not that it's uh, n- not as bad or whatever, but it's we have to have the right diagnosis of what we're dealing with. But it, it is important to recognize that uh, that occasionally God calls for us to make sacrifices there are occasions where god comes to us and says this person is genuinely sorry about the way they've acted in the past they have every desire to earn your trust back right i'm asking you to forgive their them of the past somewhere in there and i'm asking you to go to the go through the process with them of working through these things and letting them earn that trust back now that's a real sacrifice and a very tough thing the Lord would be asking you to do, perhaps in a certain situation. If you're not convinced that's what God is asking you to do, then you're not in God's will. Yeah. Forget about what the Bible says about divorce. Here's what God says in the Bible about His will: Follow me. Yeah. He didn't say follow what's written in this book, and don't ask me about it. Yeah. That's not what He says in there. He says follow me. 
I want to tell you. Now, he's not going to contradict what's in that book, obviously. But if he tells you this is what the deal is, this is how to interpret the situation, this is what I want you to put up with, that's one thing. If you've decided, based on on your understanding of one verse in the Bible, that God is asking me to put up with that, you're not in God's will. Don't pretend that you're right on top of something because you're doing the heck out of one Bible verse that you can think of. That's mm-hmm. not that's not Christianity. That's not yeah. at all it. Uh, uh, the the uh, God often asks us to to make hard uh, decisions and hard sacrifices and to to forgive and to 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 swallow uh, uh, that anger and give it to Him and and not take out the anger that we feel on this other person. That's very hard that the Lord would ask us to do that. And those those situations are going to come up in marriage a lot. But God never would ask you to take abuse. Never, right. never, never, never. You know, th- th- if it's just senseless suffering, it doesn't benefit the kingdom. It doesn't benefit you. It doesn't benefit him. There's zero percent holy anything behind that. Yeah. Uh, so let's make that clear that uh, if you're in an abusive situation, there is zero point zero percent chance that God's saying, "Yep, but I want you to put up with that and deal with that and whatever and whatever yeah. whatever." There's a way out of that. If you don't know what it is, get some help and get some other people to work with you. Well, we don't know what we would do with the kids, and we don't know where we would live, and we don't know where the money would come from, and how we would pay the rent. And what. This is why you bring other people in, and let's start working on that. Yeah. I think it's a very good point. I think it also brings us to a possible uh, hang-up in this, depending on uh, the kind of people you are surrounded with, particularly at church. There's uh, the, you use kind of a very telling term in your uh, in your question which is is this a justifiable reason for divorce yep. now the justifiable depends on your audience if you live in the united states of america and most other uh, industrialized western nations you actually don't need a reason for divorce nope that's why the phrase irreconcilable differences exists as a catch-all term yeah you can get divorced for any reason it's a contract you can void it anytime you choose um biblically jesus uh, the old testament gives some guidelines the new testament gives some guidelines but uh within those as uh, Glenn points out there's individuality and there's grace covering kind of all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And then there's church people. Yep. And oftentimes justifiable often means to other people. And that could be a losing strategy, right, John? Absolutely. Absolutely. One of the things that you, you need to know, and I, I don't take any joy in telling you, but, but you do need to know it, is that the meanest people in the world all go to church. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're all in the front rows of the pews on Sunday morning. Um, and, Christians don't, A, they don't realize that, but I, I've spent literally my entire life in church. I promise you, the meanest people in the world all go to church. Um, given that, um, Christians want everything to be done by consensus. They want there to be a universal agreement that plan mm. X is the right thing to do. Yeah. And the thing to know is that's never, ever going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there will always be um, a actually sizable number of people um, in a church group that will tell you you are Satan incarnate for the thing you're about to do. Mm-hmm. And they will always sign you up for more suffering. Absolutely. That's, that's, you can set your watch by that. Absolutely. I mean, you, you can say my plan is to feed the orphans, and they will tell you you are Satan incarnate for that's your plan right. to feed the orphans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Guaranteed. Yeah. Uh, that sounds hyperbolic. It's yeah. not. Yeah. So Anna's Glenn says, there are people in church, and there are a lot of reasons for it. It, it may be a bit beyond our discussion today, but there are people in church where their answer to everything is just suffer more. That's right. Just That's just right. put up with it. Whatever mm-hmm. it is, mm-hmm. in all things, at all times, for all seasons, 
put up with it. Yeah. Again, there's a lot of reasons they think that way. It might have to do with the suffering in their own lives, mm-hmm. but uh, but that's that's yep. their answer. So the thing that you need to be aware of is whenever you're taking a bold move forward in your life, whether that's in your personal life, you know, in terms of your marriage relationships, your professional life, the kind of work you're going to do, your ministerial life, the kind of ministry you're going to do, you're going to have a significant number of church people telling you you're wrong. Right. Yeah. You need to know that now. Mm-hmm. You're going to have a significant number of people on the internet screaming at you mm-hmm. that you're wrong. Um, <laughs> you're going to have a significant number of people you're related to that are telling you that you're wrong. Mm-hmm. The, the thing that keeps a lot of people trapped in bad marriages, bad jobs, and bad churches is the idea of, I don't want to rock the boat. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to upset anybody. I don't want to bring down wrath and torment on my head. Um, and the, the thing to know is... Anything you do, literally anything you do, is going to cause that reaction because mm-hmm. people are just looking for something to gripe about. That's just they're mean-spirited people. That's, that's mm-hmm. how they do. So given that that's the case, that brings us back to what Glenn said. It's not what other people think. It's what does God think? Mm-hmm. And that, in order to get that, you need to go to him and start talking to him. Yep. You need to get a sense you know, from, from him and his word and wise counsel of what is his specific will for your life. Mm-hmm. This is another thing that Christians don't like to talk about. The Bible gives black and white information about very few things. That's right. Mm-hmm. Very few things in your head right and you're saying well do not kill it says do not kill yeah but christians serve in the military and we euthanize animals so actually it's not black and white like at all there there's almost nothing in the bible that is a hundred percent in all cases with no exceptions black and white Mm -hmm. and um that necessitates going to god and getting wisdom right Uh, going to god and getting guidance how do i apply this word to my situation exactly 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 and it involves giving yourself grace on the fact that you will do that imperfectly, mm-hmm. okay? One of the things that uh, we deal a lot with people that have suffered through abusive situations, and one of the things that they uh, often, in the vast majority of cases, are struggling with is, well, surely some of this is my fault. Well, this is the weird thing is, part of the answer is abuse is never your fault. Abuse is always the fault of the abuser, never the fault of the abusee. Right. But in that moment, that person say, yeah, but I haven't handled this exit perfectly. Right. Well, here's the funny thing is actually you're right. You, you haven't because you're a human being, right? No one handles anything perfectly, right? But that doesn't change the broader narrative. That's right. Right. So you're trying to hide a mountain of misbehavior behind your little molehill of imperfection. Exactly right. Exactly right. So what we're dealing with is we got to keep the main thing the main thing the main thing is god does not ask anyone to put up with abuse we've said that we want to repeat that god does not is not will not ask anyone to put up with abuse next in order to know what to do with our situation we need to go to god and get wisdom about how to do that Mm -hmm. we will hear him imperfectly we will execute it imperfectly but his spirit and his grace are bigger than our imperfections that is Mm -hmm. one of the central doctrines of the christian faith yeah if you uh, do your best to get wisdom from the lord through listening to him in prayer reading his word and seeking out wise counsel and you do your best to implement that wisdom the lord will meet you way more than halfway yes and you'll also be uh uh one of the rare ones. You'll be one of the extremely rare ones. Here's the final thing I'll say is you are going to have all those mean people at church on the front rows telling you how terrible you are for what you're doing. Email us. Tell us what your situation is. We would love nothing more than to cheer you on. 
If you need a cheering section in your life, we are we covet the chance to be your cheering section. Right so on. don't be a stranger. Let us know what the deal is. That is absolutely right. And the way you can way you can reach us on that, or if you have a question, is say that podcast at gmail.com, the bridge Chicago dot tumblr.com if you're right in the tumblr please remember to mention the podcast so i know you want to answer it on here as well as the blog take out the song this week this is uh, we've been talking about some family stuff and the first question and really in the, all the questions today and uh this is a worship song that jed wrote called a new family kind of speaking to some yeah. of the stuff he was talking about at the end there where you know god does give us better than what we turn back in so i'm gonna take out that thanks for listening just remember we love you god loves you there's nothing you can do about it coming this fall from say that studios jesus the hellbound zombie hunter on fire well i've got people with the same last name as me and i've got people with my same bloodline sometimes they say things about me it makes me wonder maybe if they're right and God I need a place where I am not ashamed so you give me a new and whole family you give me a place where
Y'all sound good.